Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Guzmano and Andy Moeller. The weather's heating up, and we're in the thick of an exciting time on the sports calendar, so let's get into it. We'll talk Cardinals first, coming off a nice sweep of the Pirates over the weekend. Ever since that rotation started uh, hitting for that nice little streak around April 19th or so, it's been uh, pretty much every game they've been in, they've had at least a chance. Let's talk first about a guy who, for the longest time, you didn't know what you were going to get. But now he looks like he may have found himself again. Uh, and as he likes to say, the, the tsunami is coming again. Carlos Martinez, dominant over the weekend, eight innings in Pittsburgh. He's allowed just three runs his last 21 and a third innings. Andy, is this the real Carlos? If it is, how much of a boost is it to this team? Because I don't think they were even expecting him to be this good. Does hope count as an opinion? Uh, if, <laughs> if it does, uh, I sure hope so. Um, because the one thing that he's been consistent about throughout his career is his inconsistency. Uh, you, you, you just can't pin him down to, to what you're going to get from him. And I sure hope so, um, because he's been really good. And it appears as if um, what they've done is, you know, they're getting him to work quicker. And, and that not only is keeping the fielders more alert, but I think it's also, I think it's also helping him and staying, staying locked in and staying focused. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I want to ride this out and see what it is because it would be a huge boost to the rotation to know that, uh, that he can be counted on every fifth or, or sixth, sixth day. Yeah, it's also, really fascinating, too, when you think about it, is that before the season, you kept thinking, well, this is great. This is going to be the last year we got to pay Carlos Martinez. Boy, we'll be rid of him forever. You know, <laughs> when you have an ERA in the tens and you've been a little flaky, people kind of want you out of here. Well, now people are thinking, you know what? That team option for next year is 17 million. That may be okay. And you know, the team option for the year after is 18 million. So we go from running the guy out of town to thinking, you know what? We could pay him 35 million over the next two years. He's worth it. So the best thing about Carlos Martinez now is he doesn't think he, ha- he doesn't believe he has to strike out everybody. You know, he's being more efficient. I'm not saying he's Max Scherzer efficient where it's four pitches per batter, but he's the most efficient he's ever been. Definitely. He only had, I think, three strikeouts last game, but the Cardinals have one of the best defenses in baseball, so let him go to work, and uh, it's working out so far for Carlos. Frank, one of the biggest offensive highlights recently has been Tyler O'Neill back off the injured list, hitting balls hard, making a difference in the lineup, which has not always been the case. What are you seeing with him lately? Well, it's what we saw the entire spring training. Um, a guy who's willing to go to the opposite field, a guy who's drawing more walks. I'm not saying he's Bobby Abreu, but he's drawing many more walks. And, you know, he, he's trying to cut down on his strikeouts. I, I asked the question the other day on Twitter, if I tell you that he's going to be the next Randall Gritchick, would you take it? Or do you think there's more there? And more people responded, they think there's more there. So we'll see what happens. If this guy can hit 270 and, you know, hit 25, which I think he's going to hit 25 home runs, then the Cardinals have found themselves an outfielder. Hey, he could go on a big run. He was plus 5,000, I think, to uh, lead the NL in home runs. So I, I'd like to see that pay off for somebody. That'd be kind of fun. Um, Andy, I think it's still fair to say we don't have a complete identity with this team yet because we've seen the great pitching, but I don't know if we've seen it long enough to say, okay, that's going to carry them all the way through. That's what they were planning on, carry them all the way through at the beginning of the year. Hanging around 500 against the good teams, and beating, out a, beating the tar out of teams like the Pirates 
and the sweep of the Marlins. Uh, just how important is it for them to do exactly that going forward, especially in the uh, division they're in? I don't think there's any question about it. That's that's the key to to winning just about any in in any sport is you you beat the teams that are down and you at least try to break even with the you know with the with the good teams um, and take your chances. Uh, and I think that's kind of what the you know Cardinals are doing right now. Um, you know, everybody was ready to hand the National League pennant to the Dodgers, but now all of a sudden they don't have any pitching. So you can't just say that, uh, oh, well, this is what you're going to, you're going to get the rest of the year. So I think if the Cardinals can manage some kind of consistency in this way, I think, uh, I think they'll be in good shape. Let's talk some blues now, uh, as we sit here recording this on a Monday, blues are three points up on a playoff spot on the Arizona coyotes. They have more games left than any of the other teams chasing them. Frank, can we finally take a sigh of relief? Or not yet? No, I think you can. Um, I don't think they're going to lay an egg uh, against the, the Ducks this week. I think they're going to get four points in these two games. And uh, they, they know what's at stake. And they also know now, you know, success breeds success. That If they're playing Craig Berube's system and they got a goaltender with some swagger and they got a, a sniper like Mike Hoffman and a superstar like Ryan O'Reilly, they can beat anybody. Now, my, my take is this. They can beat anybody that's not named the Las Vegas Golden Knights. The only problem with that is they're probably going to open up against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Now, maybe that'll change too. Maybe this mojo will just keep them getting better and better and they'll be able to beat them. But that's the one team that scares me the most and that's the one team they're likely going to see the f- first round. Those two have had some good uh, matchups. It seems like every game they play is interesting. They're two, three, and one against them this year. So the battles have been fun. But yeah, going to be a, a at least from a national perspective a David and Goliath matchup if it's those two in the the first round Andy if the Blues and as Frank said we're starting to breathe a little easier it looks like it's gonna happen uh get into the playoffs is that good enough this year with all the craziness and injuries and whatnot or or is it still kind of a letdown if that's just all it is they get in and get swept or or not a very interesting first round exit well I'd, I'd hate to have to settle uh, you know, I think bigger things were expected of this team. So if they don't, if they don't win a round or two, and we are putting them in an awkward position of having to beat Vegas right out of the gate. Uh, but yeah, I think it will be a little bit disappointing because of just, it seems like they've like fighting themselves to try to find some chemistry to, to put a complete three period game together. Um, so now that maybe they're on their way to doing that, um, and having a coach who's not going to let them off the hook, uh, you know, in one breath, he was saying, you know, five points on the road trip was pretty good. And then in the next breath, boy, we sure let us in a soft goal. And then, you know, we should have stopped that third goal and, you know, and then we lose it in overtime. So having a coach that's not going to let you off the hook, I think, um, you know, gives you, gives you a good chance to win it. Frank, there could be a little bit of a wild card thrown in here, although a fan, it might just be tough for fans and not something to actually count on. Clem Costin is coming back to the States after winning the championship in the KHL in Russia, where he played fantastic. Top prospect, big guy. We know he can score. Uh, he's heading to the taxi squad. He's still got a quarantine, and who knows how soon he could actually get in game, game action or, and if Ruby's even going to deem him ready. What's the uh, latest there, and should people be excited? 
Well, they should. And I like the fact that he has a boxing background. So maybe if you do play the Golden Knights and you're not going to be intimidated as easily now with Ryan Reeves, if you got big Clem Costin, who's kind of a feisty character with some skill, do I think he's, you know, going to be a power forward like Keith Kachuk or Brendan Shanahan? No, but they could use a little bit of strength and toughness up front with a little bit of skill too. It'll be interesting to see how quick they're able to get him in there with all the rules and whatnot. Cause that was one of the big reasons he even played in Russia this year. Cause they, they didn't know how they were going to be able to get him here and back and all that kind of thing. So definitely a storyline to watch as the season winds down here in the next uh, week and a half, two weeks or so. Okay. Let's move on. The other big story this past week was the NFL draft. Frank, I think you said it best uh, on Sports Plus in your commentary on Sunday night. The guilty pleasure, we just can't quit, even though most of us here in St. Louis despise the NFL, other than Ahmad, who left and is not on this podcast, so I can't give him a hard time this week, but it's coming more. Uh, Frank, the biggest story of the draft had to be the quarterbacks. Which was the most intriguing thing among those guys taking the first round for you? Well, I think the fact that, you know, since the Bears haven't had a quarterback since, I think it's Sid Luckman, McMahon was okay, but it's been Bob Abilene and Bobby Douglas and Rex Grossman and Mitchell Trubisky and Jim Harbaugh. You know, nobody's really been much above average. For them to get an elite talent like Justin Fields, I think that he's going to be the second best quarterback in this draft. I love the fact that Chicago is rewarded. They deserve it. Uh, And then also, of course, you know, Mac Jones, with that, you know, professional golfer's body from the 70s. You can't say professional golfer's body now because <laughs> professional golfers actually have a better body than Mac Jones. But Kepka, I like the fact that... Kepka looks like a dominant tight end. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it doesn't matter, though. If you can throw a tight spiral in a small little window, that's all that matters in the NFL. And when you complete 78% of your passes, maybe he's going to be just fine in the NFL, too. Andy, as far as quarterbacks go, what did you think of Trey Lance going all the way uh, up high there with the the 49ers after uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. multiple times on, on, this is the most intriguing prospect I've ever seen ever because nobody knows what they're going to get from this guy, but yet the ceiling was still high enough. uh, The 49ers are going to take a shot on him. Well, you know, again, it's the, it's the, the NFL hype machine that Mac Jones is going to be number, is going to be the third overall pick and that, you know, that he fits the 49ers system. He fits what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. Uh, and, and you know, only Kyle Shanahan knows what he wants for his system. Apparently, they were blown away by, by Trey Lance. So, uh, you know, and with that skill set, I don't blame him. But Kyle Shanahan knows quarterbacks. Um, you know, his father knows quarterbacks. So um, I think that, uh, you know, obviously they made the choice that they wanted and were most comfortable with. And it'll be interesting to see how quickly they get him up to speed and, and get him in there because he really gives them a new dimension. Uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, is, as we've seen, he's kind of, a, kind of a game manager, you know, or whatever. But Lance has a unique set of skills uh, that, uh, that really could, uh, could give them some, you know, some dynamism in their offense because they've got a lot of great athletes at skill positions. Frank, some interesting Mizzou names going in the draft as well. You talked with Howard Richards about a few guys. Uh, we're going to hear some more analysis on later on in this podcast with your full interview with Howard. But Nick Bolton to the Chiefs looks like a perfect fit. 
And I know there's a lot of dual Chiefs and Mizzou fans who are, who are pretty happy to see that one, as well as I, I, I love that Larry Roundtree got drafted because uh, I loved his college career. And as Howard mentioned, he's got to get a little bit better about catching the ball because that's huge, obviously, in today's NFL. What do you see with uh, Bolton and Roundtree in particular uh, in this draft? Well, it would have been a shame if Roundtree wasn't drafted. How can you be one of the greatest running backs in Mizzou history, be a great kid, work like a dog, get nearly 4,000 yards and not be drafted? And I know sometimes they say, oh, if you're a free agent, you can pick the team, pick the better spot. No, you want to be able to tell your kids, your grandkids, yeah, I was an NFL draft choice. And I think this guy has so much heart and guts. I think he's going to find a way to carve out a career in the NFL. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, the Chiefs need edge pass rushers, and that's what Bolden will provide as, as a linebacker. So small at 5'10", 5'11", 5'11 and a half, but I still think he's going to have a nice long career in the NFL. I tell you, I think that guy could make a play literally anywhere on the field because he's pretty much everywhere at once. I'm excited to see how he does with the Chiefs. Andy, I know – you were studying the draft, seeing <laughs> what rookies you needed to draft for your fantasy team, and you already got it all made up in your uh, in your little. I've given away your draft secrets here, and in your rate, rankings and ratings and stuff like that. Uh, aside from the quarterbacks, who was a team that you thought maybe had an interesting draft? You think I'm going to give away my secrets? Maybe <laughs> after the draft in August. <laughs> I, you know, I'm. I think the I think the Cowboys, uh, who historically have not uh, have not been, you know, great as far as their their drafting has been, but I think they I think they scored pretty well. I think they built up their defense, which they knew they had to do, uh, and I, I, you know, I would go with the Cowboys. I would think is making a, you know a team that that made an impression on me. I should say. They got the cornerback from South Carolina and the linebacker from Penn State, right? Everybody, yes. yes. Everybody had said that the, that they were going to take Patrick Sertain uh, from Alabama. Uh, obviously, he went he went before that. But uh, J.C. Horn uh, has has some credentials, and I think he's going to I think he's going to be, be an impact player on that defense. All right, that is the horn. So it's time for our final buzzer question this week. Mets and Jacob Degrom are in town this week against the Cardinals. Uh, he's in the midst of a stretch of dominance that feels honestly historically great every time you watch him. He's just absolutely dominant. 0.51 ERA, already 59 strikeouts on the year. So my question this week, who is the most dominant athlete you ever saw in person? Could be a long stretch, could be just a short blip in time. And what do you remember most about their stretch of dominance? Andy, I'll have you go first. Well, I appreciate that. I wish I could say Bob Gibson, um, but I was... I was six years old in 1968, and so, and obviously with the, the the minimal number of games that were televised back back then, the only time you really got to see him was in the World Series. So I'm going to have to scratch him off the list. Although I wish I could have seen that dominant 68 season, but I would have to say, for my money, um, watching Brett Hall night in and night out. Uh, in those three magical seasons where he had 72, 86, and, uh, you know, and let's see, and, and another, you know, uh, plus 70 goal seed, 72, 86, and 70, I believe it was. Uh, you know, as Mike Bush is often fond of saying, you would go to a Blues game that night and you just knew Brett Hall was going to score a goal. I think that's about as dominant uh, as you can get in whatever sport. 
Um, I would say a close second, though, would be Bobby Orr because, uh, you know, he was the kind of player that if he had the puck, the other guys on the uh, on the ice were, were non-existent. He could kill a penalty by himself. Uh, and and he was he to me, he's still the greatest player of all time. So um, I'll go with Brett Hall because I I was a witness to that night in and night out. Frank, I think I'm going to go Kurt Warner for three years. There's never been a quarterback more accurate who threw the ball before the receiver made his cut, who hit the numbers, who was so clutch, was so perfect. I mean, he won two MVPs in those three years for a reason. And even that second season when Trent Green replaced him, when Kurt came back, he was insane again. So for three years, that's as good as it gets. I think really the only guy that qualifies in my, uh, well, obviously I was around for, for both of those guys. I don't remember them though, uh, to be totally honest with you. I was a little young. I remember a little bit of Kurt at the, at the end. Uh, but in my lifetime watching sports, it's really, it's gotta be Albert Pujols and that's, that's pretty much it. Because unless I'm forgetting somebody in the last 15, 20 years or so, uh, Albert's got definitely the most dominant stretch. I'm just looking here in a four year span of just 05 to 09, he hit 206 homers in 770 games and won three MVP awards. So it's hard to go against Pujols. And I think uh, definitely in my lifetime, that's, that's the stretch that stands out for me. This week, Frank sat down with former Mizzou and Dallas Cowboys offensive lineman Howard Richards to talk about the draft, his own unique career, and Eli Drinkwitz's Tigers keeping up the good momentum. Here's the extended interview with Frank and Howard from Sports Plus. All right, Howard, let me take you back to 1981, your draft day. I imagine it was just like this year, national television. You're surrounded by millionaire agents. You have a $5,000 Brioni suit on. You're being interviewed by everybody, right? If you go back and look at the picture of my draft day, you'll see I'm wearing a Riddell t-shirt, uh, which I've not received one check from Riddell yet. Uh, anyway, I was in my apartment with our uh, equipment manager, a few friends of mine, and got the call about 12.20 p.m. Uh, from Gil Brandt after my name was announced on ESPN by then Commissioner Pete Rosette. You were the 26th pick in the first round by the Cowboys. The 26th pick this year made 13 million. What did you make in that first contract and what was the first fun thing you bought? Uh, <laughs> uh, my first contract was valued at about $505,000. And uh, the first thing I bought was, um, bought a condominium in Dallas in the suburb of, of Richardson, Texas. And, um, you know, I, I was relatively frugal with, with my money. I didn't, you know, I'm not a jewelry person. I don't have a, a bunch of fancy stuff. So, um, you know, that was, that was big to me. That was very important, uh, you know, help my folks out a little bit and sent a little bit of swag to my little brother. Uh, and that was really about all I spent my money on. Mizzou has their biggest draft class in six years, five players selected. Let's break down two of them. First, Nick Bolton, 
What does he look like at the next level with the Chiefs who are selecting him in the uh, second round? Nick's an intense player, uh, very intelligent, you know, great football IQ. Uh, he's a hustler. He's a grinder. He's going to try to make every play on defense uh, if you allow him to. I mean, he's just that type of player. There's no let up on him. It reminds me of the same type of intensity of a guy that I played with uh, at Dallas, Randy White. I mean, the same level of intensity. And uh, we know what kind of player Randy White was. Larry Roundtree was the last Mizzou player, sixth round of the Chargers. What about Larry at the next level? I think if he gets a fair shot, he can easily make the team. He's a guy that will contribute in a number of ways, whether it's on special teams, uh, whether running the ball, he can get tough yards. Um, you know, he can catch the football out of the backfield, but every running back, you know, needs to, I think, uh, become a better receiver uh, with the way teams throw the ball these days. You know, he's going to have to be able to have sure hands, run crisp routes, um, I think he's a really good blocker, but you can always improve upon that. He has the skill set to make the Chargers team. Lifeblood of every college football program, of course, is recruiting. Coach Drink had the 28th best class in the country. He's bringing in talented wide receivers. How's he doing it? I think with sincerity. Um, you, he, he, I think in the first year, he saw the guys that were ready to play, whether they were initially starters or not got a chance to play because of their effort. And, you know, just because you started last week uh, in this drink offense doesn't mean you're going to start uh, the following week. So you prove yourself week in and week out. You prove yourself in practice. And I think that's what it's going to take. But the talented group of guys that he has uh, brought in and will be able to, to populate this roster in 2021 is pretty impressive. Um, now they've just got to get it done. You know, they got to come in, learn the system, uh, produce all summer, get through training camp, and we'll see what type of uh, offensive teams ends up with. But I think that they really have a chance to show some, some talent uh, and, and show the rest of the SEC, especially in the East, uh, that they're serious uh, and challenging for the top spot in the SEC East. How about the diversity of his coaching staff? Eight African-Americans now on staff. What do you think about this move? And he goes out of his way to say, Hey, look, we're not just hiring these coaches because they're African-American. It's because they're great coaches, too. Well, I think that's a fair statement. I think it's a true statement. Um, if you just look at the backgrounds of the guys that he has on his coaching staff, uh, I, I think it speaks for itself. You know, these guys are very talented. It, just look at the players that they've coached up and down, uh, you know, wh whether it's in college or whether at the NFL level. Uh, they're a talented group, and I think that they're only going to you know, help this group of Missouri Tigers uh, escalate in the, or excuse me, elevate in the standings uh, in their division. A little bit about your life. After football, 13 years with the CIA, you served under four different CIA directors. You were on some dangerous missions. What was more scary to you, blocking Lawrence Taylor or being on some of these missions? <laughs> You know, actually, there are times uh, that, that blocking LT and the likes of uh, the other guys in, in the division that we played in the NFC East, uh, Dexter Manley comes to mind. He's a guy that I played against uh, also in college. Uh, it was a little more difficult. Not to say that uh, what I did with CIA was easy because it wasn't. Uh, but, but, you know, playing in the NFL is, um, you know, it, it is a tough, tough road. Uh, and it takes dedication and hard work. And you got to challenge yourself year in and year out. And that's what it takes to not only make a team, but to be able to make a team year in and year out. And especially if you're trying to 
you know, play for a long time in this league, you've got to be able to do that. Um, you know, the work I did at the agency was, was more, it was less physical, but more mental, of course. But, you know, being an NFL player is a tremendous physical challenge. Uh, and you've got to be up to that task uh, day in and day out. But how did your size and athleticism help you in your 13-year run with the CIA? I don't think that had anything to do with it, Frank. Um, you know, with the, the jobs that I did, it was it was more up here. It was all about brain power. You know, what you brought to the table to be able to think on your feet, to be able to anticipate uh, uh, things happening before they actually happen. You know, being being able to visualize bad things going down, uh, and that's how you prepare. And similarly, you have to be able to do the same things as an NFL uh, player. You've got to be able to anticipate situations, uh, whether it's a, a blitz or whether if you've got a if you're blocking a guy up front, you got to know based on what you've you've studied about him, you know whether his technique is to or his tendencies are to, to move inside or outside. You've got to be able to anticipate that based on how you prepare week in and week out, and that's what it's going to take for all these guys. You can't just walk on the field and rest on the accolades that you had in college. Uh, you've got to bring it and you've got to work really hard if you expect to make a team in, in this league. What about your life? I know a lot of young men who would dream to be an NFL player, who would dream to work for the CIA, and you did both for them. You know, I, I will say this. I, I had a lot of great people um, that mentored me uh, and, and really gave me a lot of advice. You know, I, I paid attention in school. Uh, and that was the foundation for me. I think you've got to take care of the little things uh, if you have large expectations of yourself. Not that I did so much, but I knew that, uh, you know, whatever it was that I chose to pursue, uh, I had to do so by, by working hard, following the advice of, of the people that, you know, I looked up to and uh, that I sought out for advice. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you're a young person, Regardless of the field that you choose, you've got to be able to ask questions. You've got to have, be passionate about uh, whatever it is you, know, you, you choose professionally to do. If you do that, then you're going to have a reasonable amount of success in whatever field it is. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as well as rate and review us. Have a great week, everyone.